Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. My name is Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery. Welcome to episode three of season nine. And good morning for those of you that are listening to this bright and early. Ooh, very good. Little hint on the topic in today's episode. I'm fascinated with this. You speak with Amanda Ewan. I do. About mornings and being a morning person. I do. Are you a morning person? I am now. <laughs> You've been a morning person, I think, for at least a decade. Yeah, but I have like a love-hate relationship with it. So I, I've spent a lot of time, weirdly, thinking about my relationship with mornings lately. And so when the kids were really little, I would get up routinely at 4 a.m. Um, simply to have time to myself, like quiet time to myself. And Amanda and I talk about this a bit, actually. It took me a while to realize that that wasn't necessarily sustainable, but it was what I needed at that time. moment mm. in order to, you know, function and feel somewhat kind of satisfied in my need for quiet. <laughs> and I, since then, I've really kind of gone in and out of early starts and having sort of set rituals and rhythms to the morning and then not. And I think really looking back at it, that those ups and downs have come along with health issues and challenges. You know, when I'm feeling okay, I typically love getting up in the morning and having that time to myself to, you know, meditate or write or do some yoga or just sit quietly with a cup of coffee. But then when my health has tanked previously, that's when I would find myself sleeping until the very last minute or hitting snooze over and over and over again. So I'm just at a place now, even in the last couple of weeks, where I feel really good about being an early riser. Mm. Um, complicating or like, I guess not complicating, the additional factor for me is that I now have to wake up at a certain time in order to take medication. So I sort of have to be a You're morning person. You're a morning person. person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wager that 75% of people listening to the podcast are morning people. Okay. Do you think that that's like a general population percentage or because of no, our audience? Our audience. Right. That's interesting. On Instagram, when you post about this, it's still Let a little, us know. yeah, just comment on whether you're a morning person. Okay. Or not. So if you are a morning person, give us a sun emoji. <laughs> and if you're a night person, give us an owl emoji. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, what about you? What would you classify yourself as? I think I've always been a morning person. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think I'm more morning than, than a night yeah. person. You're one of those annoying people who has this like really accurate inbuilt body clock. So you get into bed and you're like to yourself in your head, I need to get up at six. And you just wake up at six. It's weird. It's annoying. Yeah. Yeah. As someone who has struggled with the snooze button for years, it's annoying. Yeah. I'm happy for you, but. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Amanda is someone who has over the years learnt how to become a morning person, but more importantly than how, it's why for her personally, you know, why she mm. wanted to become a morning person and what that looked like for her. Uh, and she and I talk about different strategies and tools that you can use in order to become a morning person. And most of it, honestly, is stuff that you may not necessarily think of as 
a strategy for becoming a morning person. Like we don't necessarily talk about the practicalities of setting your alarm 15 minutes earlier every week until you get to the time that you want to wake up. It's more about values. It's more about why. Why do you want to do this? What do you want your mornings to look like and feel like? And going from there. Uh, but it's, as I said at the beginning of this podcast season, I really want this year to be about practical applications of, you know, slow living um, and how they can help us to redefine what we want our lives to look and feel like moving forward. And this is a perfect example of that. So I really do hope you enjoy the conversation. We do talk beyond mornings. We talk about goals mm -hmm. um, and how Amanda and I are both really interestingly people who have been afraid of goals, of the idea of goals for a long time. Um, and You don't need to be afraid anymore. No, I, I guess not. That's a quote out of a movie. Yeah, I know. I tried to say it like that. Home alone. Be afraid anymore. Yes. yes. Well home done. Alone. Well done. Funnily enough, which is my favorite thing to do, be home alone. <laughs> In the morning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we also talk about something that I think will resonate with a lot of people listening because I believe that our audience is probably a majority who have struggled with the idea of perfectionism and how it applies to living more slowly, you know, like what it should look like to live more slowly or more simply. Uh, so we talk a lot about unpacking that and the shoulds and the have tos and trying to extricate our own personal identity from all of those ideas of, of success and, you know, being the person who's got it all together. Yeah. And I think that's a really powerful place to begin these explorations of values and dreams and visions and why and what um, is to start the practice of unlearning, you know, the shoulds and the expectations. And as Amanda and I talk about it, it's a process, probably many years worth, but this might be today's conversation might be the prompt that you are looking for to start. And I hope that's the case. Yeah, absolutely. So before we share my conversation with Amanda, I would like to encourage you to go and check her out on Instagram. She is Amanda Ewan on Instagram. So Amanda, E-W-I-N. Uh, and you can also find her online home at amandaewan.com. And she has just launched a really brilliant new podcast called Bounce Out of Bed as well. And for anyone Great listening, name. it's such a good name for anyone listening who struggles or who, you know, in their vision sees themselves as a morning person, but is maybe finding the reality a little bit tough. Go and have a listen because Amanda is such a warm and kind person with really great advice and insights into how to do that. And I will include a link to that as well in the show notes, which you can find at slowyourhome.com slash season nine. In the meantime, enjoy this really fun conversation. Amanda, hello, how are you? I am fabulous. Thank you, Brooke. I'm so excited. Oh, so am I. I just said to you before I hit record that it's so nice to see your face again, but it genuinely is so nice to see your face again. You and I met many years ago at a blogging conference and... Um, I remembered meeting you and have always remembered meeting you because you have quite honestly, one of the kindest, most infectiously joyful smiles and faces that I, of, of anyone I've ever met. Um, 
So I don't know if you know that you have that impact on people, but I just wanted to let you know that you do. Oh, you've given me goosebumps right at the beginning. So thank you. And probably not really, and maybe coming to realise it a little bit more into my 50s. Yeah. Yeah, these things take time. Um, so I want to dive straight into it because I have a feeling that you and I have got a lot of things that we could um, really dig into. But the first thing, if it's okay with you, that I would like to talk about is mornings. <laughs> I, over the years, have had a love-hate relationship with early mornings and developing morning rhythms and rituals that serve me for a time and then stop serving me. So, you know, you go through that transition period of figuring out something new. And what I want this season of the podcast to really focus on are practical applications of these kind of ideas that I've talked about over the years that people can put into place in their lives in this weird, uncertain, post-COVID kind of world where we're all trying to figure out what we would like life to feel like as we move forward. And I think that the idea of rituals, particularly the idea of morning rituals, um, is one of those really practical ideas. So you're someone who talks about and helps people discover how to, um, I guess, design morning rhythms and rituals that work. But you're also just a morning person. Have you always been a morning person? I have absolutely not always been a morning person. And if we talk about whether we're naturally night or morning people, I don't think I'm naturally a morning person, yet I adore quiet time and I adore the transition between light and, or dark and light in the morning. And I decided I needed to train myself to be a morning person. Okay. What did that look like? Because this is where I, and I've had many conversations with people over the years about you know, much similar to you, I, w- I would like to be a morning person. The ideal appeal, idea appeals to me, but how, you know, how do I start making this transition? Um, what did you do? So for me, it was motivated by, I was living in Northwestern Australia in a town called Karatha, which is a town of 20,000 people, but it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, 17 hours north of Perth by car. And I discovered mountain bike riding there. And I had my businesses there and I was working and I had kids and kids kind of make you get up in the morning without an alarm <laughs> often. So you, yeah, but mornings did not look good for a lot of my early parenting. I would be, you know, dragging myself out of bed. We would always be late for school. It would be hectic. I'd be exhausted. I'd race to work and feel like crap and say, I'm never going to do that again every single day for 10 years. (laughs) And then I discovered mountain bike riding in Karatha and Karatha is a very hot climate. So there's two seasons, hot and not so hot. (laughs) And you had to have finished exercising by seven in the morning or you might die. Right. And so I got into mountain bike racing and I was training about 12 hours a week and that would involve at least an hour to an hour and a half in the morning. So I kind of had to get up and I would set the alarm and I would literally be on my bike within five minutes of getting up. And I don't think that was particularly healthy. (laughs) And so at one point I just went, I I don't think this is healthy. I can't keep doing this. And so it's taken a long time to evolve. And I think we always teach what we need to learn and, I really looked into mornings and I uh, came across a sleep coach 
actually not that long ago, about a year ago, I didn't engage with her, but we um, met on Clubhouse and uh, a beautiful online forum and I just got right into what she was talking about and how we really need to train our brain. I think that's a really helpful way of looking at it because it's not necessarily a matter of just willpower, like muscling through it. You know, you did that, you got up, you're on your bike within five minutes, but that probably wasn't sustainable long term. So it's, you know, how do I start this practice rather than how do I force myself to do this thing that I've not done for a long time immediately? So what did practice look like for you? It really started with tapping into well, first of all, what I wanted my life to look like. So visualising what I wanted it to look like and sort of sitting down in stillness and closing my eyes and, and having a guided meditation for visualisation, thinking what, what do I want life to look like, specifically my days and how do I want to feel, engaging all these um, senses as well. And that looked like getting up at sunrise. And so then it's what do I need to do at night time for that to happen? But then what do I need to do in the morning? Because our brain just defaults to negative. Um, you would have had many conversations, not just about mornings. And so we wake up in the morning and we suddenly go, I feel like crap, I had a really bad sleep. The kids woke me up, a dog barked, and my partner was snoring. I, you know, I should have gone to bed. I shouldn't have watched so much Netflix. Sorry, I should have gone to bed. And we and we engage in that thought. And then all of a sudden we're hitting snooze button because we're thinking about how we feel. So the big game changer for me was. I just knew that I had to stop thinking about engaging in thought at all. I just had to stop. I just had to basically not listen to my brain and just do the motions. So have mm-hmm. the discipline to get up as soon as the alarm went off, have my phone out of my room and then just go through the motion. Acknowledge my feeling, but don't let it define the next pattern of behaviour. Yeah, that's so such an important distinction with anything is acknowledging the feeling but not engaging with it. For me, just as on a little tangent, that's what meditation has taught me the most out of everything is I acknowledge the thought, but I'm not going to engage with it, you know, right now. If it's still there later, maybe I will. But right now I'm here, I'm meditating. I'm, you know, I'm not going to do anything other than kind of give it a little nod of acknowledgement and then move on. I love, though, going back to the beginning of your answer where you said that you've spent some time really asking the question, what do I want my life to look like and feel like? That is an exercise that I completed a couple of years ago. And I get really emotional when I think about the woman that I saw, you know, I'm like, what would Brooke of five years in the future be doing? You know, what would this look like? What would this feel like? And two years later, I can look and see so many of those characteristics in my life now. Um, And it wasn't because it was like a to-do list of these are the things I'm going to tick off and this is who I'll become. But it was like a, you know, an intuitive process of becoming her once I had understood what it felt like to be her, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And it is about that projection. I just did a photo shoot late last year and the difference between the photo shoot I'd done 12 months before and that I don't even look like the same person but because I had done so much of that work of that projecting of what do I want to feel like and how do I want my clients to feel or the people that I'm around to feel when I'm around and that just it just shifted it started with becoming a morning person though because then I was living this dream life already right yeah it's it is genuinely so powerful and I know there are people who are like I'm not a morning person they're probably rolling their eyes at this conversation but I do just want to spend a minute like 
talking about how powerful if that's what you want you know how powerful making it a reality can be you know even for me right now like I was saying to you before we recorded our eldest just started high school so we're in this transition into a new sort of rhythm in the morning and I spent a bit of time over the holidays asking what do I want that to look like what would I like that to feel like um and the last couple of weeks has just been putting that into play and really feeling sort of how I settle into that um and the the joy of recognizing that this thing that I thought about in you know kind of in a hypothetical sense has become the reality is really powerful and it drives further change you know so as you said you started out by becoming a morning person and now all of these other changes are rippling out um I yeah I think that's really exciting and powerful Oh, it's, which is why now I help people bounce out of bed in the morning because I never did. And I don't always either. And the other thing I wanted to um, touch on is it it does ebb and flow. Like you say, with life, you've got a daughter in high school and so your morning ritual are going, rituals are going to be different. And it doesn't mean that you have to get up at 4 a.m., 5 a.m. if that's not how you choose. I do believe that rituals are important in having a structure and also listening to your body, but not, you know, just not hitting snooze button. Snooze button is a disaster and should never have been invented. Right. Well, it takes away the intention, you know, and I'm, I'm someone who hits snooze at least sometime during the week, every, every week, but it takes away the intention, right? Uh, you know, it, it sort of is procrastination put into physical form. <laughs> And it doesn't often make us feel better. No. <laughs> Particularly not, I mean, on a weekend, right, you might have all intention or I might have all intentions of getting up at five when I normally do um, to do something, go for a run, whatever. And then I wake up on a Saturday morning, I'm like I'm actually really tired. So I'm going to allow myself to go back to sleep because we don't have anywhere to be till 10 o'clock this morning. That's very different to saying I'm going to eke out another five minutes. You know, five minutes is probably not going to make any major difference to how I feel in the morning um in fact it might kind of set me back by half a step but um yeah that's interesting that the snooze button is your that that's your line in the sand I guess yes yeah there is no snooze button anymore and I mean it, there used to be decades well probably most of my adult life I would hit the snooze button and then I learned a bit more about the science behind it and started to think, my brain still tries to tell me it's a good idea. See, even when we know, we need to keep reminding ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And we and we just, now I keep teaching it because then I'm reminded every single day. Um, and the other thing I, I just thought of, Brene Brown said, the most dangerous place she can be is between waking and getting out of bed hmm. because of where her brain can go. That's, I mean, combine that with what you said earlier about um, how typically our brains default to the negative. And there is so much truth in that, you know, because you, you start thinking about it. You're like, oh, I've got this thing that I need to do and I'm tired and I'm sore from, you know, working out yesterday, whatever, whatever, whatever. And all of a sudden your brain, even though you know better, your brain's like, actually, come on, just, just give it another 10 minutes where we really can be our own um, worst enemy sometimes with that sort of thing that that's really I hadn't heard that Brene Brown quote and I really like it and I'm sure I'll think about it tomorrow morning <laughs> when my alarm goes off 
great one. And there's so many different, I was listening to a monk talk about mornings and they think about death when they wake up, which helps you bounce out of bed. Right. So you sit there and go, it could be my last day. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I think there's something really profound in that because for me, that idea of making the most, engaging with the day, whatever it brings, like that is genuinely one of my motivations for making the choices that I make. So I think starting the day there is that's a beautiful place to begin because it, again, sets the intention, you know, how am I going to show up today for whatever it looks like, as mundane as it may be, you know, making lunches again for the millionth time. How am I going to engage with people? How am I going to make people feel? Do you have any rituals yourself in the morning? I do. And they do ebb and flow, but we'll always come back to, and at the moment I'm traveling, I'm lucky enough to be traveling at this time in Australia. Um, Not necessarily for traveling purposes. um, And so I'm in a different place, but my, as soon as I wake up, I will meditate. So I'll do a, a guided meditation for between 10 and 10 minutes and 30 minutes Mm -hmm. and not necessarily not always guided sometimes just in stillness and then some Wim Hof breath work I do a 10 minute round three rounds of breath that I've been doing for over a year now okay that was a really hard habit I I found that really difficult to instill but as soon as I habit stacked thanks to James Clear I I tapped that onto my meditation. So they are the two things I do. And then it will depend, often go to the beach for a swim if I can. I've found that quite challenging being in Sydney, but in Perth I would do that all year round. In the hotel I've been doing yoga straight away up, so some kind of body movement. Yeah. Um, and and they will differ. So it's not regimented. The meditation is, and if I don't start my day like that, then it's not, I'm not such a nice person. Yeah. So talk to me a bit about habit stacking. So habit stacking is just when you know you want to add something into your life and you, it's actually tapping it, adding it onto something that you already do. So it's making the smallest, simplest change. So I was already meditating every morning for the last 10 years and probably more so in the last couple, just religiously. And breath work was really difficult. I just couldn't find the place in my day where I would make it something that happened regularly and I knew I really wanted to do it, just 10 minutes. And so as soon as I went, ah, I meditate and then I do breath work, that's what I do, Mm. Um, it happened and it was just a no-brainer. It's like I can be 10 minutes late to wherever I'm going to be if I had a later night or I got up later, Um, although I do try to get up at a similar time every day. So it's that habit stacking of tapping it on to something simple. So cleaning your teeth, I clean my teeth and then I meditate or I clean my teeth and then I put my shoes on and go for a walk. Just the simplest little things to tap it onto something else so that your brain just registers that that's what it does. Right. And it's just so helpful um, to, to view it that way. You know, it's just an extension of that, that ritual. That's interesting. I hadn't come across that, uh, that, that kind of phrase before it makes perfect sense and I think that's what I'm actually doing in my mornings at the moment uh, I always start with stretching or a bit of yoga and now I've tapped um, tagged yeah. 10 minutes of meditation onto the end of it and it just feels like a natural progression now and then I add my writing practice onto the end of that and it's sort of just this again I can condense at the time if I need to or I can let it expand if I have the capacity but to have that sequence of those three things it makes sense you know and that that is a really that really does make sense I like that a lot can you 
talk to me. I'm just, just because I'm curious and I don't know much about Wim Hof's work. What does that look like for you? Is it, is there like a, a sequence that you can learn with the breath work? So, yeah, absolutely. So I was lucky enough to go to a Wim Hof workshop in Melbourne and uh, did an ice bath. And because I couldn't tolerate cold and I was leaving a hot climate to move back to Perth and I knew that winters were going to be cold and I'd need to be able to deal with it. And that was in 2018. And I've only been doing the breath work for about a year religiously daily now um, because I hadn't really learned the habit stacking thing. But back to what it is, so it's just really simple and you can um, get it on YouTube for free and he's got an app as well. But it's three rounds of breath, so 30 breaths, really big inhale and uh, a a shorter exhale for 30 breaths and then an exhale and then holding the breath for as long as you can. So that might be a minute to start with, up to two minutes, however, however long. And then inhaling, holding for 15 seconds and then doing the rounds again. So three rounds minimum of that, which I think on YouTube, his video is about 11 minutes. I often do it just on my own and I'll probably do it a bit faster. And then just some days I can hold my breath for two minutes and some days it's like, I don't know what just happened, but it was only a minute. But I don't type anymore. I'm I'm a reformed Taipei personality and I... Everything had to be used to be so regimented, and I I needed to do everything by the book. And life's so much more fun when you just look. I've thought a lot and written a lot about the idea of ritual, uh, sorry, rhythm versus routine, uh, because I found as my kids were really young and I tried to fit them into these neat little time slots, you know, of routine. I discovered that actually that was really counterproductive to my health, to their health, to our, you know family's well-being so I settled into the idea of rhythm which has a lot more flexibility um, and fluidity to it but still has the structure that I think does help um, in you know getting things getting through things making sure things happen where do you sit with that now I mean do you struggle to let go of that idea of regimented routine or have you very much moved into the idea of rhythm I think I was quite influenced I read about it from your book not that long ago the rhythm verses and um and the rituals and when you were in that really dark place and the things that shifted for you and it obviously wasn't an isolated idea and I'd been working through that because I was so structured and I, you know I had to have everything and then if I didn't I'd not be particularly kind to myself mm. and now I, I and I just did I had a beautiful podcast interview in my new podcast um about it as well well about being intuitive in the morning and really listening to your body and and we talk a lot about particularly as women in our cycles and how we can't have this regimented structure where every day is exactly the same and so I've become a lot more lenient and not so regimented and even you know six months ago I did a yoga retreat 30 minutes a one hour meditation in the morning and then I was doing 30 minutes unguided and I would get really grumpy if I didn't sit down for 30 minutes um, and do my meditation. And since then, I've just gone, you know what, if I do 10 minutes, that's fine. The 30 makes a bigger impact on my life, I can tell, when I do that regularly. But I don't, it's not set in stone. Mm. As long as I'm doing the meditation, just not having it set in stone. And that works really well for my personality type. And it does depend on, you really need to get to know yourself and what works best for you and what, makes you feel 
the most ease and the most fun and joy in that process. Yeah, and I think I think that is so important because um, I'm making a generalization here, but I do think from the conversations I've had over the years that people who are drawn to the idea of slow living sounds obvious, but they're people who need it, right? They're not people who necessarily inhabit that space naturally. So I talk to a lot of people, women particularly, who are, they have perfectionistic tendencies or they are type A and trying to, you know, find a bit of a balance there. So I think that it's really important to play around with what with what our assumptions are about, you know, success around these kind of rituals. Because if we attach a particular outcome, set in stone sort of outcome to our meditation or, you know, our writing practice or yoga or walking, whatever it may be, it can become really counterproductive to our well-being if we are lacking in self-compassion, I guess, around the fact that we are seasonal beings, we are cyclical beings, particularly being women, you know, uh, that the person, the brook who wakes up today is not necessarily going to be functioning physiologically in the same way that, that, that she is tomorrow and that's okay. So I guess, first of all, allowing that to be the case, you know, allowing ourselves to let go of what perfection looks like in that sense, but also getting to know ourselves, you know, physically, intuitively. Um, and that for me is something that I've only really been doing over the last few years. And it is such a rewarding process. Do you have any advice for anyone um, who is maybe finding themselves at the beginning of that process of, of learning, um, you know, to pay attention to our body as opposed to maybe our brains sometimes, um, you know, how do we begin to unravel the messaging that we're getting from our bodies and, and really settling into the truth of it? I think the first thing is the awareness. So it's that when you get to that point and if you're listening to this conversation at the moment going, oh, you know, something's going, I need to listen to this, then it's looking at where are you at in your life and what are you doing and why are you doing it? What does your plate look like and how full is it and how much of that are you enjoying? And the other thing I'd like to point out, and I didn't realise it till after the event when I was a crazy, I call myself, a, I was a crazy busy woman and now I like to think I'm a calm, busy woman. And I was doing so many things that I thought I should be doing and my body was talking to me way before my brain mm, engaged. Mm -hmm. And so it's picking up on those things and just going, what's happening in my body right now? If, if there's an ailment or if, if something's going on, because I believe there's so much emotional connection to the physical things that we suffer and what do I need to listen to? But it's really taking that moment in stillness to just even if it's a minute, when I first wanted to start meditation, my first life coach 20 years ago, I said, I want to meditate. And she goes, um, how about when you come home from your morning walk with the kids, what if you just sit down for 30 seconds? <laughs> and I was like, oh, but, you know, I, I could do meditation, like just the 10-minute one. And there was no way at the time I could have done that. So the advice would be just to look at where you're at and really listen to your body. And if you're running around madly constantly, you know, if anyone is still doing that when they're listening to your podcast book and have been following you for a while, because it's that slowing down, um, but it's consistently asking, I think daily asking your body what it needs. Right. And 
grounding that in the reality of where you find yourself as well you know as you experienced when your kids were little and you're like I want to meditate but the reality probably wasn't that that was available in terms of a 20 or 30 minute chunk you know um sort of allowing that to be enough allowing 30 seconds of stillness to be enough you know sometimes when my kids were little it was like just the extra 30 seconds sitting on the toilet that was it like that was the quiet time and it's just you know in the my nature of, of, you know, the person who wants to do things properly. I'm like, that's not, that's not right. That's not enough. It actually was enough, you know, because it was what was available, what I was capable of at that time. And rather than resisting it and being rigid in it and saying, this is, there's no way this is going to help. Just let it be what it is. Um, Because what it is, is 30 seconds more stillness than I had the day before. Um, And it is really this it's such a, a process, you know, it's an excavation, it's a gradual building, however you want to describe it, it is not something that you can just launch into and remain sustainable, I don't think, because that's the other side of it, isn't it, too, Re- really, you know, we can have all of these wonderful plans for all of these rituals and morning rhythms, um, but if it's not sustainable in a very real sense, then when things get difficult and I guess that's the part of the problem with so many of us um, asking these questions when we're on holidays or when we've taken a break over the new year you're like yeah sure I've got two hours of spare time at the moment I can absolutely do all of these things and then you get back to school and you get back to work and you're like oh no I I have 30 seconds you know (laughs) so grounding it in reality and allowing it to be as mediocre as it needs to be and not realizing that that's not a bad thing that's actually still a step forward massively and then it's what's possible now versus what's possible later on and just doing that and sometimes asking for help too like asking for help to I had to ask for help to let go of the things on my plate because I didn't know how to do it by myself I thought Mm. that I needed all these things to be successful or wasn't until my mum died and I kind of looked at her life and then went oh I'm doing it because she did it so it's sort of um that personal redefinition of success too if you don't mind me asking what did that process look like for you because I think it's um it's obviously deeply personal so it's fine if you don't want to go there um I'm more than happy to share because it was a pivotal moment in my life for sure and I Looking back, it was it's almost nine years since mum died and she dropped dead of a stroke at 69 and still working, doing 500 million things as she did. And, and it was a process probably a year after that where I sat, it was one day really, I was driving to another board meeting and I was chairman of a board. I was on a couple of other boards, mountain bike coaching, two businesses, mum involved in the community. And I was driving to this meeting going, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And then I'd sit in the meeting going, I don't even want to be here. Like it was just this screaming within, which I hadn't, I had never stopped long enough to really listen to those voices before. Mm. And I was lucky enough to have support at that time in the form of a coach. And we looked at what I was doing and what I enjoyed doing, what was negotiable. And we gave everything a score out of 10. And a couple of those boards and the committees did not rate more than one. And so we looked at those and which one needs to go first and what are the steps we need to do. Obviously, you can't just 
stop being chairman of a board right. that way. Well, you you can, but I wanted to do it properly. So then it's like, when's the AGM and when can I give my notice and um, put those steps into place? But I needed someone else to give me permission to do that in a way before mm. I could do it myself. And then I gradually took a year off volunteering, which you know, I was persuaded to do. And it was the best thing I ever did to really look then at what I wanted to be doing. I mean, even as you described that, I could feel myself getting anxious about, um, you know, that process of letting go and of giving yourself permission to have shifted and to slow down enough in order to hear your body screaming at you that actually, I don't want to be here. And this is not in any capacity serving me. And as a result, that means it's not serving my family. It's not serving the people I love. It's not serving the other things that rated much more highly on that, that list. But it's still terrifying, I think. And I I believe it's it's probably more prevalent for women, um, you know, this idea of letting people down or of uh, if I don't do this, then it means I don't care enough. Um, how did you kind of work through that, those emotions, or I guess if you experienced those emotions, how did you work through them? I absolutely experienced those emotions. And I probably wasn't far from burnout I don't really like that word but I I I just knew that it had to happen I knew that it was actually killing me inside and I needed to something had to give and so I just had to trust the process and the more I trusted and the more I realized that the world didn't end when I suddenly Mm -hmm. wasn't and it defined me as well it was part of my identity in a way and so I was the person that did all these things, this amazing person that was all these things. And, yeah. and so just that letting go, you almost feel like going and hiding in a cave because what are people going to think? But, you know, those realities never really happen. So it's just com- practising each time. I did that one thing and nothing bad happened. So what if I did another thing? And what if I was working more towards this amazing life that I really want to be living, designed by me mm. and not by my mum or my granny or um, the rest of society? And then more incredible things started happening and then I witnessed that, oh, I let go of this. I didn't necessarily go and do anything else, but magic came in right. in other ways. And so that just drove me to then go and try more of that, letting go of those things that I thought I should be doing. Mm. Yeah, that word should. It has such a hold over us, doesn't it? So I have a favourite quote. There's nothing so trying in life as the tyranny of the shoulds. Oh, I like that. I really like that because they're heavy, you know, and you don't necessarily know that you're carrying them around until you, you know, put that lens over your eyes and say, well, how, how many times a day do I think I should be doing this? I should be doing that. Um, that's a like for anyone listening who hasn't actively done that you know kind of just put in your brain this little alarm that goes off every time you think or say the word should and just keep a tally of how many times you you think and feel it every day it is brutal (laughs) you know it really is yeah and I I think I applaud you for for doing that work because it is work I mean unpacking that stuff allowing yourself the vulnerability of um stripping away that identity you know as the person who does these things um and your idea of success as a person and as you know someone worth emulating and all of that all of that like an important person in community and family to allow yourself the vulnerability to strip that away and see what remains 
um, really does, it, it deserves a round of applause, honestly, because it's, it's hard. Um, and I didn't know you then, obviously, but I'm proud of you for doing that. Thank you so much. And then, you know, by letting go and making space, I ended up being able to go to ProBlogger and go to conferences and invite more incredible things, do work that I love and adore because I made space for it, mm. and then meet phenomenal people like you. So, like, you know, it's just got goosebumps now. Um, it, it's incredible. And, yes, you do have to go through the hard stuff to realise yeah. the beauty after that mm, I just think it's so well, well worth recognizing that we don't necessarily know what lie on the other side of those scary decisions but as you say trusting in the process is a huge part of it you know and not trying to second guess what it's going to look like ahead of time absolutely because, yeah yeah we have no idea yeah now I want to talk to you before we finish up um, about the idea of goals uh, because I know that 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 as a coach you work with with particularly women um, who are high achieving but are also looking for that sense of balance um, in their lives in a holistic sense and I can only imagine that goals work comes into that a lot now I have a bit of a tortured relationship with the idea of goals and I think it's because I don't necessarily have my language around goals right yet but I found myself thinking about it this morning I and I'm curious as to your take on this I will particularly in the past have set goals right but they are they're big goals and I think that what I've actually set myself are dreams <laughs> rather than goals which is wonderful and I think important because it gives you something, you know, to work towards, to keeping your vision, whatever. But goals I, I'm coming to understand are probably a lot more practical than dreams. Is that, have I at all articulated what I'm trying to say? Do you get what I'm saying? I do get what you're saying and it's a really interesting topic. And I've always been afraid of goals. Like I've never been one to sit there and go, oh, this is my two-year plan and this is my five-year plan. Right. And it does, for me, I'm very aligned with what you say and so you um, said it so succinctly, that it is about dreams. And ironically, I, um, I love my Oracle cards and I just have one pack with me while I'm travelling. And this morning's card that I pulled before our call is... No dream. way. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And it's a dream of mine to be on a podcast with you, Brooke. And so that was what I thought the card was relative to, but obviously it has a deeper meaning. So it is, to me, and the work that I do, uh, that I'm doing in the world is to, yes, think about our goals, but more about what are our dreams and what do we want to feel like? And what does that look like? And so it's more to me about, and we've just done some work in the beautiful coaching, business coaching program that I partake in about sitting down visualizing what we want our future to look like and then what are the steps that we need to do in order to that for that to happen just in the next 90 days so yeah I might have a random goal of having a pod, launching a podcast in the next year and it's taken me five years to get one out into the world and I finally have um, and I planned that four years ago but I didn't ever say this year it's going to happen and then, you know, by the end of 2022, I'm going to do it. I might have thought it. But it's more about just having that dream, having that visualisation, and then what's the next 90 days look like? 
And what do the next 30 days look like? What are the non-negotiables that are going to happen in that mm. space? And then it always comes back to values. And I know you talk to values a lot as well. You, you have to know your values as well and the vision. So the vision, the value and the goals are all intertwined. And that would be, that's part of my signature program. It's just that's what we work on first because you've got to be clear on all of those together to be able to move into habits and into having more play and fun in every day. You need to know what you want out of life first. That makes so much sense. And I've never actually brought those three elements together, but they're, you know, this beautiful ecosystem, right, of dreams, big picture stuff, Um, but then the day-to-day, you know, what the day-to-day looks like and how that day-to-day is going to help us move forward so that in 30 days' time we can look back and see that, in fact, we have moved the needle, even if it's only a tiny amount, you know, and then 30 days beyond that. I, I really like that, you know, you can you can dream as big as you want, but then we bring it back to 90 days. What What is that going to look like over these 90 days? It's interesting that you said you're afraid of goals because I f- have felt for the longest time exactly the same way. And I don't know if it's because I was setting, you know, quote, the wrong kind of goals in that they were a pass or a fail or... I just forgot that goals are actually what happens at the end of action. (laughs) You know, it was like, we're going to set this goal. Oh, it didn't happen. Why didn't it happen? Oh, because I didn't do anything to get towards that goal. You know, it's really, um, I really like that approach of kind of the spectrum of vision and, and values and goals and dreams. That's really beautiful. Thank you. And I think it comes back to, knowing your why mm. and your what and then the how the how is the goals and I think that's the challenge I've always had it's like I don't know how I'm going to make it happen how right. am I going to get the podcast out into the world like I know why and I what I want to do but I don't know how but when you really focus on the why and the what the how and you would know this in your life and your beautiful traveling you did in Canada like the how just happens just happens when you are so uh, connected to your values and your dreams and your vision and and that comes through stillness which brings us back beautifully full circle to mornings right getting up getting out of bed starting the day in that way that we know intuitively is going to give us you know to fill the bucket if if you want to use the that cliche um that is all based on um the why and the what because you've asked yourself okay what do I value what do I want my life to look and feel like in the future that really is a specific vision of your why and your what you know and the how comes more readily like I guess that's sort of what I was trying to get at at the beginning of our conversation is that the the process the rituals the rhythm has come much more easily and readily than it has previously and I think that's because the why and the what are in place and living it now not waiting and that all the feel of feeling we want to be tapping into that feeling now even if we're pretending even if we're imagining it but just focusing on that feeling and having joy and fun and play every day and you you know you alluded to that when you were in that dark place just getting out in nature and and being present is the key absolutely or finding 30 seconds on the toilet and I have to do, I did that yesterday. I met a friend at the Coogee Beach Hotel and it was so busy. The only space I had was in the toilet. Yep. And I'm not even an introvert. See, I am. And that is why at any event or conference, 50% of the time, you'd probably find me in the toilet. <laughs> 
Oh, Amanda, what an absolute pleasure to talk with you and to pick your beautiful brain about all of this stuff. You know, I think there is so much for everyone um, listening to unpack and to to play around with and experiment with in their own lives. Um, now, tell me about your podcast. Where can people find it? And where can people find out more about you and the work that you do? So my podcast is called Bounce Out of Bed and we're up to episode four and it's been so amazing and wonderful to finally get it out into the world and for everything I didn't know the how but it's kind of evolved at the right time and you can find it where most podcasts are found Spotify Apple and if you just search Bounce Out of Bed or Amanda Ewan it will come up up. And you can find me at amandayuan.com and amandayuan on social media as well. Brilliant. I'll link to everything in the show notes um, and everything we've spoken about. But thank you so much for your time and your energy. I've appreciated every second of it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute delight and a dream, a dream.